Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 226, and I had a conversation with Dr. Patch Adams. Yes, that Patch Adams. That's what everybody says to me when I say, oh, I had a conversation with with Patch Adams. They say, Patch Adams? The Patch Adams? And I say, yep, that's the one. The one that we all know and love. Uh, He, of course, is the founder of the Gesundheit Institute and has been working tirelessly traveling all over the world uh, in order to raise money and awareness for the Gesundheit Institute, which is still needing a lot of support in order to, to finish the buildings and the, the infrastructure and, and everything that he is working toward. Uh, there was a quote I came across on his website, which, by the way, is patchadams.org, and it says, The health of the individual cannot be separated from the health of the family, the community, the society, and the world. I love that. As I mentioned before, he's working toward finishing the Gesundheit Institute, and you can donate to that cause uh, there on his patchadams.org website. Really interesting conversation. He talked about his life and his goals and some of the adventures he has been on. Uh, he's traveled all over the world and uh, has now, obviously because of COVID, is not able to do that, which gave him time to be able to chat with me. Really interesting guy, and I uh, enjoyed the conversation. Usual stuff. Social media, Hey Human Podcast, can be found on Facebook and Instagram. You can find my personal Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Susan Ruthism. That's S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M. Email me, Susan, at HeyHumanPodcast.com. Love to hear from you. On that HeyHumanPodcast.com website, you will also find the links page. Every episode gets a pile of links and you will find it there where it's all delineated and stuff I've researched or things that my guests have talked about, books, movies, articles, they're all in every episode. So definitely check out that links page, a lot of information there. There's a merch site for Hey Human now. If you go on the website, heyhumanpodcast.com, you will see store, click on that, and you can find all sorts of Hey Human merch from hats to face masks, leggings, t-shirts, um, pencil cases, all sorts of fun things. So definitely check that out. It helps support Hey Human and keep it ad-free. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to check out more about what I'm doing, susanruth.com. And you can also sign up for the mailing list on there. And thank you to everyone who has been signing up. It's been great seeing everyone uh, doing that. And we're getting close to a mailer. So I don't over-inundate anybody. They go out about every quarter or so. And so don't worry. If you sign up for the mailing list, you won't get 4,000 emails a week or anything like that. I mentioned a few weeks ago when I interviewed... Uh, the hypnotherapist, that there is a video of me being hypnotized. And my friend Rachel has been kind enough to help me edit that down. So it is in her capable hands. And she's going to get that to me as soon as she can. And then I will put that on my YouTube page, Official Susan Ruth. Definitely check that out if you want to see all sorts of interesting videos. But when that hypnotherapy video is finished, I'll definitely put it up there. Speaking of videos, 
my friend Sammy Plotkin, who's a fantastic performing artist, and I, we wrote a song and did a music video, and we did it under the moniker Muskrats. So if you go to muskrats.com, you can find that video and song, M-U-S-C-R-A-T-Z. Looks like you're a reader. I know. But a cool and interesting indie pop rock As are you. I'm an addict. Check that out. I'm collecting four libraries for our hospital. and help encourage people to vote. My individual library is about 40,000 books. Definitely register to vote. Wow. And check out that song if you are so inclined. I'm also... A reminder that I am on Sentinel's Point of No Return as an actor. It's a serial podcast. You can find it on iTunes and Podbean and all the places. Really fun sci-fi story. So check that out, too. And in general, thank you for listening. Uh, the fires are raging. If you can donate money to the American Red Cross, uh, feedamerica.org. There's so many great places that need help and support. Of course, obviously, the Gesundheit Institute is the focus of this episode but man there's a lot going on in the world right now so california is on fire oregon's on fire um it snowed it was like 100 degrees or something in colorado and then the next day it snowed i thought i was reading an onion article but apparently that actually happened it's wacky out there love each other be kind let's get through all of this stuff stay safe thank you for listening here we go Dr. Patch Adams, welcome to Hey Human. Hey, back. Thank you for being here or there, as the case may be. Uh, You are a fascinating man. I have been doing some research uh, on top of what I already knew about you. Uh, I would like to start with your start. You were born in D.C. during uh, the World War II era. Uh, May forty-five. Oh, are you a Taurus? I'm a Taurus. I'm a Gemini, actually. Oh, okay. Oh, you're at the end of May. Yep. Okay. And you, your upbringing was pretty normal for for World War babies? Well, I had a mother's upbringing. My father fought in World War II, and he was gone for Korea for four years. And the truth is... Korea really damaged him. So even when he came home, he was not present. Mm. My mom uh, was a school teacher. I never saw her angry, unkind, unjust in any way. She totally loved her children. And she, if I had an interest in elephants, there was a book on elephants there. And so that's, and she was loving. That's I awesome. never saw her unloving. Yeah. And you were close with your uncle as well after your father passed? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a person who gets close. Yeah. I, I read that you had done experiments with friendliness by uh, making uh, crank calls. I don't like to call them crank calls because obviously they, they were for joy and love, but in that, in that spirit of calling strangers on the phone. What gave you that right. Well, you know, I don't know what you know of my life, but when my father died at 16, we moved back after living in Germany seven years on military basis to Virginia. 
My life changed forever in a public park at a public drinking fountain in 1961 that said whites only. My mother gave me everything but activism. She was not an activist. And I wept and wept and realized my country was fake and religion was fake and that a person could actually pass by that sign and not tear it down. So I first flipped out and had three mental hospitalizations at 17. I hated what the drugs did to my imagination. And at 18, I was present in D.C. at Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And because my mother gave me self-esteem, I instantly changed. I realized what a stupid idiot I had been by suffering and decided my first decision was to never have another bad day. So I haven't had a bad day from 18 to 75. I decided to be six qualities, happy, funny, loving, cooperative, creative, and thoughtful as an instrument for peace and justice and care for all people and nature. Now, I wasn't a big successful dater in that time. I was not a manly man. I was a weird, nerd, dweeb, dork, sissy boy. So, and I didn't have to study because I was really smart. And so one of the things I did was to call up wrong numbers to practice talking with people. And I did that for several years and it was lots of fun because they could hang up or not. And I would find tricky ways to keep them on the line. And I, that's when I started reading. And I am an addicted reader. I know four hours of poetry by heart. Even in my 75th forgetfulness period, those poems are right there. A couple that are at the top of the list. Well, when, you, when you've read thousands of poets, a favorite poet doesn't really shine like that i mean i i love the poet who just died mary oliver yes me too i i I love walt whitman emily dickinson and then i could go on and list huge numbers so uh, i've not been a person that chose a favorite piece of music or a favorite painter i would rather know all the painters and all the musicians and uh, whether it's classical or jazz or even rock and So uh, that's my style. And I spent from 18 until I entered medical school, pretty much I'm an extreme extrovert going out and invading the society and exploring and trying to understand why, why is it so serious? Why is it male dominated? Why is it white person dominated? And all of those things. So I went to a lot of marches and, and, uh, decided to enter medicine because I thought medicine was a love job for men. And I didn't know that most doctors were males and they were not loving and that medicine was a business. So I entered medical school in 67, which was my last hairdo, haircut. And that within a month, I realized that they were doing it all wrong, that hospitals were boring places sterile places, hierarchical places, and that I was trained to be a doctor in 7.8 minutes, and no one is that dull, that boring. And so I, I did my own interviewing. So I'm a family doctor who likes an initial interview of three to four hours. 
I, I usually know the person better than anyone else knows them. And they're allowed to ask me any question as well. And so in medical school, since I saw that it was wrong how they were doing it, I designed the, the, the original design of the Gesundheit Institute. It wasn't yet called the Gesundheit Institute. Was to address, to be a, I wanted to make a hospital addressing all the problems of healthcare delivery in a single model. So it would be free for all people rich people as well as poor people, and that it would welcome all people, that it would be in the poorest state, West Virginia, and that the permanent staff would, because it was the 60s and I was one of those 60s people, I, I knew that living as a nuclear family was wrong, that there's so few happy nuclear families and that our natural state is communal so I knew that all the permanent staff would live together as a communal eco-village and that if that were the case, they'd all have to make the same salary, the cleaning person and the surgeon. And I wanted the salary to be so low it scared people. So the salary is $400 a month. And that we would not accept third-party reimbursement, no medical insurance, and that you could spend as much time with a patient as you wanted. It was interesting. We had no lectures on health, diet, exercise, love, spirit, wonder, curiosity, passion, and hope. And so I'm a family doctor who never once gave a psychiatric diagnosis or a psychiatric medicine. I say it publicly that I never disliked a patient enough to do it. And that I was offering do you want mental health? And by living together, people called us the zanies because we were zany in costumes and sometimes with clothes on or off and all kind of wildness. We had our own garden and we had costumes and so it was hard to suffer there. And we did this 12 years where 20 adults, three of us doctors, and our children lived in a six-bedroom house and called ourselves a hospital. We were open 24-7. We had 500 to 1,000 people in our home each month with five to 50 overnight guests a night. And we were experimenting with them and ourselves. We did this 12 years and really didn't get a single donation. I, by that time, I had at least a thousand foundation rejections because what we were describing was too radical. I mean, imagine applying for a foundation grant where you, they see that the surgeon and the cleaning person are going to make $400 a month and live with the patients and all of this sort of stuff. So yeah, you had many, many, many people applying to be a part of this. Well, we, we, they wanted to be a part of the hospital there. We were already full as a staff. And, but yet, yes, that's true. And that's why I knew it'd be no trouble to find staff for the hospital. But we had refused publicity because we have no respect for fame and that 
If we went fame, I would have to be a famous person. But after 12 years of not raising any money, I realized I had to become a famous person. So we had a front page Sunday style section, full page article on me with me walking a slack rope and juggling. And that article was uh, syndicated and went all over the U.S. And we closed our doors and I started to lecture and perform. I've done that in every state many times. And... 82 countries, I have 6.8 million frequent flyer miles. And for the last 25 years, I can say until the COVID, I was doing it 250 to 300 days a year. I have lectures like Living a Life of Joy, What is Your Love Strategy, The Joy of Caring, Humor and Health, About Gesundheit, etc., Passion and Persistence, Desire and Design, and I'm a clown who is a doctor. I started clowning when I was eight or nine because on military bases, manly men, boys, were bullies. And I found if I could make the bully laugh, they didn't hit their fool. And so I'd rather be a fool than a bully. And so I started clowning and then I just kept clowning. I never took a class in clowning. I do rope walk, ride a unicycle, juggle, but my real clowning is being this fool. I've clowned at 10,000 deathbeds. You know, I clowned in Trinidad for five men who were hung the next morning for capital crimes. I have seen a lot of hell. And I found that clowning and loving I call clowning a trick to get love close because you can't go up, especially as a six foot four tall man and go, I love you without it being an invasion of privacy. But as a clown, I can invade anybody. One of my props is the world's largest underpants. And I've had two presidents of countries in public in my underpants with me. So clowning is, again, a way to get people to do things they can't believe they're doing. Do you think that you speak of love and and I think back to when you would call people on the phone. I imagine that you got hung up on, sure, but I bet there were a lot of people that just wanted to talk. There's a freedom, especially in talking with a stranger. And if, if the world is filled up, what, seven point some odd billion people and yet loneliness is is rampant well depression is the number one illness it's the number one prescribed medicines are antidepressants and i've said publicly there's no disease depression it is a symptom of loneliness so you're right that it's amazing how many lonely people i found in married couples my estimate is about 15% of married couples are healthy relationships. Yeah, which is grim. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's also true that no public school in the world, K through 12, teaches one hour on loving. So most of my gender doesn't know anything about loving. They know about bossing. I mean, that's why the women's movement has been so strong in, in my lifetime. 
is because we're just one of the team, we guys, and we're, we're not the CEO of humanity. When did the epiphany of Gesundheit Institute come to your brain? Well, it was an evolutionary design that started in medical school and then living it, you know, it was very clear in living it that every sad person should have a bedroom where, you know, my, at the time, partner and I never went to bed without patients in our bedroom with us. It was crowded, even when we had children. And so it, it has evolved. In fact, during the COVID, before COVID, I thought the hospital would be on the land in West Virginia with the dwellings of the staff. But now I'm thinking, and, and I'm not going to be in charge of it. I want to wait until the staff get together and we collectively agree. But now I think the hospital should be on the edge of the property so that patients could come there in a COVID-like experience and that the residents will be away from the hospital. So you see it's even evolving. Mm -hmm. Currently the idea is to have initially 12, 10 adult bedroom units with extra beds for guests and children and if you live in the hospital structure for four years, and this could all change when we all get together and collectively make the decision, but as I see it, you live in the hospital for four years, and if you still love it, you could create a tiny house for yourself if you want to live by yourself. But I want you to first live communally with people. And you purchased 320-some-odd uh, acres in West Virginia. Right. We have three waterfalls, caves behind the waterfalls, a four-acre lake, five springs, a mountain of hardwood trees. In a community such as this, where it really is such a collaboration between nature and humanity and medicine and uh, connectivity and art and creation and all of these things, do you leave room for humans to also touch on their shadow side as well? Or do you find that that doesn't really show up in these environments? Well, you mean the staff or, or patients? Anybody, anybody. Well, it's nonviolent. So you can yell, but you can't hurt. So, I mean, to give you an extreme example, the 12 years we were open at least 15 times, some male would stand in the living room yelling, fuck you. That's probably extremely intimidating for almost everybody. So when they would do that, rather than punish them or give them heavy drugs, I might grab three medical students from over here and three patients or friends from over here and we'll dance around this person with our arms under our armpits going, ah, fuck you, fuck you, ah, fuck you, fuck you. And most all of them would laugh, and once you're laughing, you can't do it. And, you know, my longest hug was 12 hours. You know, a person felt so lonely and so hurt and so unloved that I, it was a creative 12 hours. 
And so it's an evolutionary thing. See, when we, and when we were in medical school, 67 to 71, there wasn't one lecture on exercise or diet. Not one single lecture. I mean, you knew about the vitamins and the minerals and, and that sort of thing. But in fact, vegetarians were made fun of. And so in those 12 years, we had to discover nutrition discover. So for 45 years, I've done regular yoga, weightlifting, and aerobics. So I can sit on the floor and spread my legs apart and put my face to the floor. That's one in 10,000 men. It's much easier for the pelvis of a woman to do that. And so we were discovering not only what made you healthy by healthy relationships. So if you didn't cook, you cleaned up. And there were so many, so there was always a thought from most of the staff where, how can this be used as a teaching moment? And that there was so much friendliness that, that if someone was there as a patient and lonely, we would attack in a friendly way. And, and so we were discovering what was healthy and at the same time, in medical school, there was no education on complementary or alternative care. It was all considered quackery, acupuncture, homeopathy, naturopathy, Ayurvedic, anthroposophic, faith healing. And when we started practicing, we saw that these kind of practitioners were not allowed to practice, so we let them practice with us. So we learned that there was great stuff in all of them. And so that's why our hospital will have surgery, OBGYN, pediatrics, internal medicine, family practice, and acupuncture, chiropractic, etc. I love acupuncture. So good. Right. It is. It is very good. You brought clowns into war zones and disaster zones, which... I, the the juxtaposition of a clown in the middle of a war zone to me is fascinating, and I'm I would love to hear from you what that experience or those experiences taught you about humanity in general. Well, I knew very young as a child violence was wrong. I grew up in the military. I grew up in a country that yay America. We just won World War II. We won the Korean War. And I made a commitment never to hit somebody, never to be violent. And so, I mean, a film was made when we took clowns into the war in Afghanistan called Clowning in Kabul. We went in six months after it started and we discovered, we certainly went to hospitals and to orphanages and clowned on the street. We wanted to be foreigners invading the country with love. You know, I have probably held 2,000 children in my arms the week they died of starvation. It is the most devastating 
difficulty for me because I cannot believe that in this world of billionaires, there are people dying of starvation. And so you, you know, we didn't want to be, no one was shot when we took clowns into a war. But that's not really different than clowning. You know, I was from Washington, D.C. for a lot of years, and there's a violent city. So you just, uh, you know, if I see a husband and wife fighting, if I go up as a straight person, I might get in trouble. But if I go up as a clown, they they are going to think I'm being a clown, not an invading peacekeeper. And that's really what the clowns in Afghanistan, we, we didn't have enemies. We were clowning with where we went, where they allowed us to go. And it's clowning. Why do you personally think, because all you have is your own opinion, obviously, but why do you think it is that people are so against, some people are so against universal health care and helping those who who are poor or or downtrodden or don't have health insurance for whatever reason or, you know, all the list goes on and on. The elderly... Let's, let's just say that the worst disease of history is capitalism. It will be the cause of our extinction, I'm absolutely sure, probably within a hundred years. Because rich people don't know that polluting the rivers and the air and what we're doing to it is going to also include their extinction. Because there will be a time when your 10,000-person private army can't protect you. And they're good at convincing poor people that they're on the right side. Well, rich is having friends. Money stole the word rich to mean money. So we think of a super rich person as a billionaire, where I'm a super rich person. I have lots of friends. I think mental illness is a pharmaceutical company diagnosis that the causes of mental illness mostly are a loss of tribal life because we are naturally a tribal animal and loneliness is the most devastating experience. A loss of a connection to nature and because of our modern society, the techno world, most kids don't know squat from a tree or a plant or an animal, really. How can it serve us rather than we're just one of them? And the third cause of mental illness is the loss of connection to the arts. And the arts are where humans have shown the best. Music, visual arts, theater arts, they are dance. I mean, I'm a hell of a jitterbugger. And that those things give you mental health and also give you healthy human relationships. That there aren't 
schizophrenics. I mean, who doesn't want a lot of personalities? I'm at least clearly a doctor and a clown, but I'm also a partner, a father. I like all the roles. So how do you deal with somebody then that comes to you that hears voices or has, as they say, the well, schizophrenia is that, you know, overactive mind, oh, whatever that means. I'm not a doctor, so I can't exactly describe it. But Or of somebody with a um, multiple personality with the, what do you call it? The I know it's DID now, but I can't think of what that stands multiple for. Multiple personality disorder, MPD. Yeah, or dis- dissociative well, personality disorder, any of those things. The 12 years we lived with our patients... There were a lot who had those labels. We ignored them. If you didn't cook, you cleaned up. You, you can't say, I can't. And so in an atmosphere where you're not labeled, you lose your labels. You, why not consider yourself interesting or unusual? Or, I mean, what would a multiple personality order be? We know what the multiple personality disorder is. Sure. And it's about safety, right? The, the main personality is trying, is, has been suppressed by the alters who are doing their best to protect. The- right. So we had a rule, no violence. If you did physical violence, you had to leave right away. Whoever you are, patient, guest, you, you can't do violence. You can yell and scream, and, and you could then be considered by people like me as, oh boy, a theater piece. <laughs> and I could say, let's sit here and watch the theater piece. It is. I mean, I think about when little kids are disruptive, and, and everybody wants to be heard. We all... We all desire dignity and self-worth and when you tell a kid that their feelings are invalid it tends to go south very quickly but if you listen to a child and say what are you feeling and why are you feeling it and how can how can we talk about this it it shifts the it validates so I imagine that that would be true for adults I know it's true for me I want to be heard and understood and and accepted. I mean, that's what we did. You could be really strange, and why not become interesting instead of diagnosed? So if you were labeled obsessive-compulsive, that sounds like a good cleanup person. <laughs> Shout out to my best friend, who's very good at that sort of thing. <laughs> well, I am too. How do you... Like, I, that, the funding for this through the years, uh, you said that in order to to help facilitate the growth of the Gesundheit Institute, it would require your stepping into the, the, the title of famous person. And did, did you find that, th- how close are you to your goals of all the things you need to do in order to make the Gesundheit? It could have been built in five years. We haven't even finished the first big building in the 50th year. Okay? So, the movie promised to build it, made hundreds of millions of dollars, and gave us nothing. The Patch Adams movie? Right. 
It was one of the most popular movies of history. And it made me nothing. So what fame did was made me expensive. So I've lectured, I mean, for a number of years, my fee was 20000 a day plus expenses. And so I was making, at least 16 years, I was making a million a year. That's why we don't owe any money. And have built three beautiful buildings in the shell of our first big building. But not only did the movie not meet its promise, I'm going to estimate that 90% of the promises made me didn't happen. So a person could promise to send $10 and it didn't happen. Some do. We do get some donations. But, uh, you know, I've never had a second of discouragement. The need is great and questing is fun. And I don't do it alone. How much do you need still to raise? Obviously, it's an ongoing commitment to fundraising in order to keep it going but just to get to the point where it's functioning how shy are you of the goal I, we're, we're not near at all not near at all my yes. first level fantasy is five million dollars hmm. two million to finish the teaching center and the rest to kind of organize because I don't want to make the decisions as the leader Okay, so were we to get that, I used to know all the 120 people that would live there. But when you're 50 years old and people who you've loved for 20, 30 years go, Patch, I can't do it anymore. You lose people. So I don't know who those 120 people are. I know some of them. But... I'm getting ready probably within the next month or two to send a notice to all of our e-list of 50,000 people and say I'm looking for 120 people. And so the 5 million after building the teaching center would really be to find the 120 people and get them together to make the final decisions about what we're doing. Okay. Um, Our architect of the teaching center said it would be about $70 million to build our our whole thing. So I've been asking for years to raise $300 million total, 70 to build, and the rest to endow. I have a suspicion that where we built we wouldn't have to worry too much about an endowment because people would want us to be thriving. I'm willing to make a second movie. And so that's what I'm looking for. And maybe this can be my time where I talk to your audience and say, please, if you're listening and you would love a hospital that operates at 10% of the cost, that is a happy, funny, loving, cooperative, creative, and thoughtful place to be where you're actually going to hate leaving when you're well, that you'll donate to us. You can go to patchadams.org and donate online, $5, $5,000. You can write me a letter with a check 
and you'll get a thank you note. And if you would like to make a really large donation, what does that mean? Probably $50,000 or more and would like to talk to me, contact me. And I will be happy to answer your questions. But please, unless you hate what I'm saying and think, I want that guy getting me, then help us. Help us show medicine as a thrilling service to its people. And it's not the only thing you do. You have you take care of orphans, right? And you've you've gone into the yeah, Amazon. Four hundred in Moscow. Yes, I mean we're, you know, in our fifty years of failing, we've done many great experiments, and so that's why clowns are now going in hospitals as a group in hundred and forty countries. Our work sparked that, and that so many things are are as a result of it. And so we're having fun failing. Talk about your, failing. your work in the Amazon. What's going on there? Well, okay, before COVID, we did six or seven clown trips a year. Russia, that was the third, this would have been the 35th year of that trip. Morocco, Mexico, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Ecuador and the Amazon of Peru. So 15 years ago, we wanted to go to the Amazon on a clown trip. So we, you have to fly into the Iquitos, the city that is in the Amazon. And then we found that there was a really poor ghetto of that city, Berlin. And so we have been going there for, this would have been right now, the 15th year. And we go and see what the needs are. I mean, we're, we're first going there to up the ante on behavior, you know, to be silly, to be loving, to be playful, to spread cheer, even in the worst of poverty or in the most lonely of lives. And so it's, uh, people love that trip. It's hot. And uh, not just hot in a spiritual way, but hot in a temperature way. Where Russia in November is cold. Not in a spiritual way. But we're, I'm addicted to Russia. I love the Russian writers. And we've made great friends there. And so, yeah. How do you deal with the the suffering that you experience? I know that your your mantra in life is is one of love, but you're still human and I imagine I believe that the experiences I've had with death that I've been very honored to be in its presence. And I know that people are very afraid of death. But in, in this country, especially, there's a great fear around death. But in fact, it is, it's, it's its own, there's its own beauty around it in, in that transition. But how do you deal with that suffering that you experience that's even before you experience death, all the against well, children and each other and mankind? Okay, I want you to hear me. At 18, I decided to never have another bad day. 
I make me. I'm in charge of making me in the same way when you come to a curb and there are cars zooming by, even if you're drunk, you stop. Because you're in that moment in charge of you. We do not think often psychologically that we are in charge of ourselves. What our parents did to us, whatever. However, I am a thinking individual. So I wanted to be an instrument for peace and justice and care all the time. And that's why I decided to be happy, funny, loving, cooperative, creative, and thoughtful all of the time. So the thoughtfulness never said, well, you should suffer here because this child is dying of cancer. How does that help the child dying of cancer? Being a playful idiot is much more helpful to the child dying of cancer. So I, I want a world, my fantasy, ultimate fantasy, magic wand, is a world where no one alive knows what the word war means. They have to look it up in a dictionary because they would never believe humans did it. And so when one, if I decided to stop making me, I, I'm sure I would suffer. But in making me, what do I have to stand on? I'm in the best possible relationship. I think someone looked at all three and a half billion people and gave me the partner for me. I think of her, Susan, as the smartest person I know. You're going to interview her. And so I have that. I have two beautiful children. I, I love nature, so I have a tribe. In fact, I'm part of many tribes. I'm part and. I have over 5,000 books on nature. I like bugs, so I probably have 500 books on bugs. They're fascinating. Okay, and then the arts. I'm for the arts. So I am an actor. I am a person who recites poetry. I, I love all of the arts. That's why there'll be a fully modern stage at Gesundheit and we'll be putting on plays on a regular basis. So I am medicating myself with the things that I think are psychic medications, tribal life, nature, and the arts. And the tribal life is a new word for most Americans, except the Native Americans. But when I say tribal, I mean a group of friends. And, and I'm parts of huge numbers of groups of friends. So when we closed our doors, I haven't mentioned this, within a year I was feeling a, a real emptiness of care. I need to care. I need to be next to suffering. I need to do it. And so I, it was more important to build a hospital than to fill that need by going back to the crude version of the hospital because we need to show vision. And that's why I said, okay, I'll add two things. And I added letter writing. So I've written over 400,000 personal longhand letters to 139 countries. 
yesterday I answered, I think, 11 letters. And, and often they are of great suffering or funny or really strange. I love doing it. And the other thing I started doing was leading the clown trips. Because I can't be a doctor for a child who is dying because I'm trying to build a hospital. But I can be present for that child in that moment and with their family and electrify them with the magic of love and fun. And uh, I feel a privilege to do that, you understand. I'm not working. Uh, uh, a lot of people feel if they've gone on one clown trip that that'll last them a lifetime of experience. Where I've been on over 300. And I, I love it. When I go clown in a hospital, I say, I want to see the person who is suffering the most. Not because I think I can do something, but because I know I'll be comfortable there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Do no harm. 2011, the Training Center Vision, still raising money. Uh patchadams.org to donate and please anyone within the sound of my voice this is a certainly a noble and worthy cause so uh, every little bit helps big helps help big little helps help big as well i am curious uh the the man you know on the precipice of manhood at 18 when you went through the, the three bouts of being in mental hospitals and dealing with... Uh, I was 17. I'm sorry? I was 17. 17. And, and having thoughts of, of suicide and depression and all these things, the, the person that you are now, looking back on that person then, do you think it was an absence of joy or do you think it just was a... a what would the person you are now say to that boy? Well, I, I was the same person as a boy as I am now. It's when I saw the whites only sign that I realized my country was fake and religion was fake and that people hated people for color. And I've since grown to understand that there are a lot of other reasons. Men hate women for being women. That there's so many things that, you know, Trump, who's the biggest stupid asshole government leader I've known in my lifetime, who does he love? I wonder if he's capable of loving anybody. I certainly would love to have him as a patient and try to help him not be such an idiot. Because uh, I don't want to hurt him. He just has no right to be a president, except the truth that he was voted in, which means that there are other people that hate, and that he's a hateless president. Pain is pain. Yeah. When I saw the whites only, and until I saw Martin Luther King, I didn't know what my place was. 
because I was beaten up because I would start to speak up at school because I was in an all-white school in Virginia and hatred was in the air. And I would correct. If somebody said the N-word, I can't say the N-word. But if someone said it, I would correct them. I didn't care what the consequences were. I felt the consequences when they beat me up because I don't protect myself when someone is beating me up. And so it, it was mostly trying to find a place for a loving, playful, goofy nutcase. And until I heard Martin Luther King say, you know, don't suffer for the hatred. Make yourself an instrument of change. And then that, then I instantly stopped suffering and uh, became an instrument of change. Dr. Patch Adams, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And uh, feel free on occasions when I'm not on your show to tell your audience, have you donated to Patch's Hospital? Let's get that damn thing up. I will. Absolutely. Feel free to do that. And you can, you have survived the fact that traditionally I'm asking as many questions as you are about you. So maybe someday you can write me a letter and tell me about you. Okay, I would love that. I like writing letters, so I would be definitely into that. <laughs> Detail is good. Yeah, and I will, um, I will get this together and, and send you the link to the episode and, and get it out to the masses. And hopefully we can help, help build your Gesundheit Institute. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Much love. rate and review hey human on itunes or wherever you get your podcast thanks for listening stay safe love you